Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Screen and Needle podcast, where my compadres and I get to select one film, one album, and a top five list each week to be reviewed and discussed over a pint or two. I hope you'll join us for a drink and some daft chat about pop culture. My name is Will Holden, and I'm joined today by Andy Malvin. How are you doing, Chief? Uh, hurt my back, but aside from that, I'm all good. Thank you. Good, good. I'm also joined by Exclamation Mark. How are you doing, boss? Nice. Uh, yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, been thinking about that all day, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> and we also, uh, today, are joined by a special guest, Phil Dixon. Welcome, Phil. How are you doing? I do very well. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Uh, so today the picks are of course Phil's picks the movie this week is Candyman from 1992 Uh, it's directed by Bernard Rose it's starring Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd and Xander Berkeley I'll give you the top down IMDB pitch the Candyman a murderous soul with a hook for a hand is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth have you ever heard of Candyman? If you look in the mirror and you say his name five times. In cities everywhere. Candyman. They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman. Candyman. Just a ghost story. Candyman. (laughs) Tell me, Phil, what made you decide to bring this film? Okay. Well, I thought about how to answer this question a little bit. All right, right. The, the the top level, the high level answer is I really like horror films, and this is a decent horror film that deserves a second sight and a bit of re reevaluation. I think the the longer answer is as we've spoke before. I think I've watched about seven hundred and fifty movies in the last twelve months during lockdown. <laughs> which is excessive to say the least. And as part of that, I've watched all of those kind of slasher franchises. I watched all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. I watched all the Friday the 13th. I watched all the, you name it. Uh, And this one kind of got tagged on the end a little bit because I remembered in my head, it was that kind of film. This was a big sort of slasher film with a kind of bogeyman going around killing a bunch of people. And when I rewatched it back in, well, it's got to be about 12 months ago, it was like, this is not the film that I thought it was. This is a more interesting film. There's something else going on here. I thought it was worth a bit of discussion because of it. Well, first and foremost, Phil, I completely agree with that, that element. I watched this when I was far too young to watch it. <laughs> and I do remember it as exactly that. Like, I remember the supernatural elements but that Candyman was somebody who just sort of went around and butchered people. Yeah. And I didn't remember any of the, well, plot, I suppose. No, uh, exactly that. And I, <laughs> I, I think the first time I watched it, because it was fairly new, I didn't see it at the cinema, um, but you'll know from my age, I was kind of like, we saw this on a VHS 
from Blockbuster, mid-90s. And I remember it being a terrifying slasher film. But it's not quite that. It's a little bit more complex. It is that, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, (laughs) shortly. Because it's it's a lot of different things. It's not simply a sort of Friday the 13th, Michael Myers, stalk him, stab him, standard horror film by any means. Agreed. Like we spoke the other day and said, like, have you watched the film yet? And I said, I'm leaving it till the last possible minute to watch it, which I did. I watched it this afternoon. Good choice. Um, Because I'd read the summary probably the same one that you read out will and <laughs> thought i'm gonna hate this i don't like horror i have a really low tolerance for any sort of gore so yeah i was putting it off essentially and the first half of the film i actually sort of enjoyed like you yep. say there's way more to it than i was expecting like the sort of a little bit of a commentary on like you know race and poverty and no question there's genuine plot to it and it, it lost me i'll be honest <laughs> later on but i definitely enjoyed it more than i thought i would it it has way more depth to it than like most similar slash horror films that i've seen what i'm really interested in and i've realized this during lockdown is the things that i really enjoy are these sort of pieces where somebody has gone out to make what is essentially mainstream sort of genre piece of work. But for whatever foibles, it's kind of gone a bit fuzzy around the edges. And I think that's what's happened with Candyman. I think it's a really good example of something where they're almost making a sort of, that all the horror tropes are in place. You know, you like you have like a big bogeyman, you have a sort of, you know, you've got a few jump scares that are well coordinated. So all of those sort of things are in place. But something's happening within it whereby whether it's because it's based on a Clive Barker story or whatever, it all starts to get a little bit fuzzy and it becomes a different thing than they set out to do. And it becomes a lot less of a sort of commercial by-the-numbers piece than was actually probably intended. And I think the sort of uh, folk legend elements of it. Yes. And how long it holds on to that as a as a potential truth that she is just going a bit crazy and like doing all of these murders and although it's like increasingly unlikely i like that it still sort of held that slight well, sense you, of mystery that do you think it's ever resolved i don't i'm not sure that it is i think there is a little bit of ambiguity as to whether i, guess there I don't is, know where, how intentional that is but i think there is still an ambiguity that lets you go i guess there is just making this up i mean there are bits <laughs> I, I guess i don't i don't want to jump too far ahead in in sort of the plot bits that okay that make me think it is, it's probably one particular way. Marco, what, what were your thoughts, buddy? Yeah, I'm kind of split. I kind of <laughs> see what you're saying. And it sort of flirts with being a slightly classier movie in some respects. But ultimately, the stuff I most enjoyed about it is the dumb slasher stuff, to be completely honest. I was laughing in the last 10 minutes. I found it hilarious. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, no, but that comes back to what I'm saying. I think they have tried to make a genre slasher flick. And so all those place pieces are in place and they and as they should be. This isn't an art house movie by any chance. And I don't think it's trying to be one. No, I I don't think it is either, but I think it's still like there's a lot of kind of arty shots. There's a lot of aerial shots and everything where it's just 
<laughs> like the opening tracking shot over the city and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, which I immediately sort of found the juxtaposition annoying because it's uh it's <laughs> like the Philip Glass score I was mm-hmm. okay with by the end, but like the opening credits music was awful. Oh, it was really bad. I was thinking the same. And then I was thinking like it sounds like sort of a John Carpenter B side. Yeah, right. That he'd made and thrown totally. away. I, but it came up saying Philip Glass. I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like, that's a recognised. <laughs> well, it's got that very composer. sort of distinctive. It's got a piano motif, which immediately made me think of the Exorcist and Mike Oldfield. I, so I think all the cliches are in place. I mean, there's huge cliches in there. You know, everything that is in a sort of the, the worst slasher movie you might ever hope to have a nightmare about is in there. But what makes it interesting for me is. It's, the bits where it's the jigsaw pieces that don't fit. Which, is, like I said, when I've watched 700 odd movies this year, yeah. it, it just went, oh, that's not, that doesn't fit. There's something about that that doesn't, I can't ram it into the same category as Nightmare on Elm Street 5 mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And that made it interesting to me. That's exactly where my expectations were because that was how I, like my childhood mind had remembered this film. Um, But as you've said, there's this kind of B story about race relations Mm -hmm. and poverty in Chicago, which is... Well, I mean, that would be, yeah, it would be massively remiss of us not to sort of address that a little bit. I mean, number one, apparently, I've looked this up, uh, so... Um, Cabrini Green, where it's set, is a real place. Right. That is absolutely, it's filmed on location in those Jesus tenement blocks, which were in the 80s, you know, the worst nightmare kind of projects that you can hope to have a nightmare about, you know, proper sort of the wire that started out as really nice places, but ended up as a sort of wild west of gangsters and drug dealing and all that kind of stuff. The the idea it's a bit of a it's, right. There's a lot of stuff about race in there, but it's not really sort of dealt with. It's not tackled massively. Full on. It's no. not tackled full on, but I think you've got you've. I mean, the whole theme of the film, though, I would say, is that you've got a kind of a sort of white liberal guilt. You've got this sort of a um, you know a sort of middle class university person who is going into the tough projects to solve a problem that she can't solve. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah, uh, that, that's American politics right there. But social not, overtones. Yeah, there's huge social overtones. So, um, you know, and obviously I think it's, it comes into that sort of dances with wolves thing that you got in the 90s, where it's sort of an attempt by American filmmakers to address... Some think, of the ills of the past, you know, like it's no, he was killed in a, a racist lynching, wasn't he? Yeah, I think, so. I think the backstory is essential to trying to like divert away from that. The fact that the, the sort of justification of where the legend came from, yeah, because it was like racially motivated, it's, it's almost sort of sidestepping that race issue then for the rest of the film. It's like you've done enough to appease it. No, absolutely, and it, but that doesn't discount a number of different things. I mean, let's let's face it; there is still all those sort of cliches that you've got a black bogeyman, um, yeah, yeah. The, you've got the pursuit of a white woman throughout the sort of the film. The fact that there's sort of a, the whites cast are ultimately the saviors of the people in the projects, like the lady who has the young baby who has to be saved 
by <laughs> the sort of the white protagonist and but I think ultimately I don't think it's I don't think it's a racist film it, it's coming from a place of white liberal fear ultimately that what do we do about the projects problem and here is a yeah, manifestation of their fears if you like mm-hmm. you know you know? I think I think like that was a bit of a problem for me about the film as well. And I think you're right. I think it's my issue with the film and like my issue with horror as opposed to actually mm-hmm. being a sort of fault of the film. But I found that stuff interesting in the first half and then it is never really resolved because it moves into a more, I guess, kind of a more predictable horror film. Like of it, course, but this isn't this isn't a civil rights movie, is it? No, it, so. no, it isn't. It's just that the things that I liked in the first half of the film just disappeared. Like it wasn't that there was any sort of resolution to them, and then the film moved on. They just it just wasn't part of the narrative anymore. I agree. So it uses it as a point of tension. You know, you have to acknowledge that that is part of this film. Although I don't think it drives the narrative especially in a weird way. It's no. kind of like um, it, it doesn't. It just it just adds. It just adds a level of interest that I wouldn't have had in it, had it if not been there. <laughs> no, no, that's fair enough. With that I said, mean, yeah. by the end of the film, I don't think I really fully understood what the kind of Candyman mythos was. No. Because the story they tell ultimately doesn't really seem to have any relation to his motives. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. So there's, there's a distinct possibility you're going to be able to like just Tell me all the bits that I missed. I like the fact that I'm the expert little, here. I mean, this yeah. is just like a trash movie that I happen all to buy. All of these directs. Okay, no, not really. Only other than that, it, it's... Um, I think it plays back into what you mentioned it a little bit before about the folk horror thing. So I think it, it kind of... It feeds back into this idea of the sort of the bogeyman, the witch burnings, and they scattered his ashes. You know, the old Indian burial ground mm-hmm. sort of mythology. Is this in her own mind? It's like, does he really exist? Because even in his own narrative, he only exists because she asks to be a victim by saying the name five times or whatever, you know. Um, but she's ended up a victim because she believed in him. And that's the motive. As far as I can tell, it's just the his motive is that he has to kill in order to exist. He talks about his, almost like his religious flock, and that the the rumor is his existence. As long as ke- people keep spreading the story, like it right. will continue to to be. But why, Helen? There's this thing about it was well, always you, Helen. Yeah. And at that I, point, I thought, <laughs> is it <laughs> for me? Totally. <laughs> he's killed. Right. He's killed tons of other people. <laughs> I, I agree. I, so uh, what I think that is is playing into the Dracula myth. It made me think, you know, this sort of idea of kind of an eternal love. And it does, it comes out like left field. It's not even introduced into any part of the movie until like the last sort of five minutes. And suddenly it's kind of like, she's some sort of reincarnation of his dead wife or something. Like what the, yeah, it's not seeded in the plot any point up until you see the photo, I think the photo, the the painting of her on the the wall. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, and it, it doesn't even feed into anything else. It's sort of, that's revealed and then not, dealt with in any way <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they it do, doesn't even go anywhere they do name check dracula at one point as well don't they i think she uh oh, she's sat on the bench yeah she's talking to the little boy yeah yeah it's, it's one of those where all the stuff you're talking about is quite 
interesting and I can see it to a degree. I, I wasn't really getting any of that, to be honest. Um, it wasn't like a deep thinking exercise for me, particularly. No. Um, and I think I'm overstating the intellectualism of the movie. I think it really does best. You need to understand it on the level of this is a popcorn movie. And as such, I think it's reasonably effective. I think Virginia Madsen's pretty good as a lead. Oh, I think she's um, really good. I, and in a weird way, I, does she not bear more than a passing resemblance to Gillian Anderson as Agent Scully? I, it's Indeed really strange, does. you know, the, the very first appearance she has, I was like, she looks like Gillian Anderson. And yeah, she really bizarre. does, doesn't she? Yeah, it's it's bizarre, and the character does share some traits for sure. Well, go on. I've got a few things that I, I was sort of curious about. Number one is sort of the odd visuals, which is not unusual for a horror film. As soon as I thought about it, one of the things was those kind of like, oh, it does go into weird, mad psychedelic territory. You have kind of the um, quick edits. When she's in weird dream sequences, the bees, the Mark mentioned the overhead camera angles and all this sort of stuff. But then as soon as I thought about it, I went, actually, no, that's actually pretty standard horror stuff, particularly when you yeah. think about like the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, there's some weird psychedelic things going on in those movies. So, because you're trying to represent something that's otherworldly, aren't you? So <laughs> maybe it's not quite as weird. But one thing that did stick with me that I think this has got a really vivid color palette. But it's something that really struck me watching a movie from the early 90s compared to the horror movies that I've watched recently. If I'm thinking things like the Conjuring franchise, Insidious, whatever. And it's this overuse now of filters. Everything has a look and a feel. Remember the Haunting of Hill House stuff? Everything's in kind of... Every scene tells you whether it's inside, outside. It's got a kind of a grey thing. It's got a turquoise. It's whatever and it was really apparent watching this that actually this is kind of being filmed in without any sort of filters the, the, the color pa- yeah the, the color palette and it, it accentuates it by the fact that it uses lots of graffiti and stuff to build its sets and the way that it yeah. looks and you know so it's on purpose that you have those sort of slightly kind of psychedelic looking backgrounds but it, it recalled for me more, you know, that kind of thing that you had in like Dario Argento's Suspiria and stuff where everything is sort of multicolored and day glow. And it struck me that I haven't seen a horror movie that looked multicolored. This is much more just sort of, All it's just filmed place. on set. It's just, yeah, whatever's in front of the camera goes on the, on the tape. I, I thought, I, honestly, it was really weird. It was very striking that I was watching a 90s horror film that that was, that was unusual. Because I haven't watched one for a little while, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a stylistic element that has somehow become out of fashion. I'm not really sure why that is. I've got to admit, I'm no horror connoisseur, um, and it's not my first kind of choice of genre. But there are a good handful that I enjoy. And I think this sort of stands out against those 90s equivalents. I very much like Scream from that same generation. but. Um, yeah, this this sort of surprised me, I think. I think I went in expecting quite little, if I'm honest, and got no, more. And that's than, fine, which is one of the reasons I, I wanted to pick it, to pick something that actually, you know, deserves a second look. Here's another point. There's a very low body count for a slasher film. Most of your slasher films, you're looking at sort of 10, 12 murders, bad murders <laughs> in a film. I think only maybe one or two people get killed on the screen in this one. Although they're quite think, nasty when they happen. I think there's yeah. only a couple. 
But I think it's a good thing that they resist the temptation to sort of show Candyman too soon. Bit of a, I think it's of about ju- an hour in, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's kind of a really, Jaws yeah. thing. There's a lot of setup and a lot of anticipation, and then uh, I think it's at, the, right. it's at the point where you see Candyman, and also you get more of the gore and obviously the killings later on in the film. That really kind of loses me. Like I know Mark said that he found the end quite funny, and I sort of like a little. Totally, bit, I'm not, little I, bit I'm agree not here to that, defend but, it, you know. I totally but I think, agree. I just think that all the things that were the scary moments were more, well, some of them were from like real world things and not related to the the boogeyman. Like her actually, you know, going into the like abandoned apartment and, you know, climbing through the wall and all the graffiti. And that, that was sort of, that was real world horror. It isn't any sort of supernatural element there. Yeah. I think they actually built up the suspense quite well in those bits, and it's some of it's kind of psychological horror as well. And it just well, lost, it just lost all of that for me by the end of it because you, it does. It, I think it I think isn't. it's I think the end is not good enough, and I really liked the psychological horror ex, um, aspect. Yeah. It really is all in our head. I just don't somehow. think. It, I mean, maybe that could have been a different film, but maybe that would have been disappointing in itself. As soon as I said it, I was just like, "No, nah, geez, you know that would have been pretty lame." I kind of like the idea of a supernatural entity that is, you know, that that does deliver a bit. Was it all in her head or not? Um, There's a couple of elements that have swung me one particular way. Okay. Now, I am going to say that for the purposes of the film, it's not intended as such. Now, I've never read the Clive Barker novel, but I'm going to use that as a touchstone to answer this question in that in his previous books, Clive Barker has always enjoyed and played with the idea of some sort of demonic underground, whether it's in Hellraiser or whatever, you know, that the horror is real, that it is just mm-hmm. a, a step away from us. Sure. And I think that the intention is that, yeah, that, that Candyman does exist and that he is the personification of our guilt wrought back on us. I, yeah, I never, um, I never considered I, that it was. However, the, the, <laughs> the rather ridiculous ending does go so far into being a sort of parody of horror films <laughs> that, you know, particularly when she comes back herself at the end um, <laughs> and appears, you just sort of go like, oh my God, what is <laughs> it's like right this is just stupid now and you sort of go like okay but i think the fact that she dies means that it, ha- it can't be in her head i know we're on the ambiguity front but that was the punch the air moment in the movie when she comes back and kills Xander berkeley right um <laughs> guy from that was, that was beautiful because he was an arsehole yeah, and yeah. Uh, i like seeing him get his comeuppance and also he I think the year before or something like that gets exactly the same treatment in Terminator Two, which was. Uh, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, he he is the um, archetypical. Like, he is the, it, it, like I, <laughs> when I watch a lot of movies, I have this sort of phrase in my head: is oh, it's guy from stuff, which means that I recognise them from a bunch of things, but I can't be bothered looking them up on IMDb, and I just yeah. sort of go like, oh, it's guy from stuff. Xander Berkeley is the the archetype of it's the guy from stuff, Gen- generic, generic character actor. <laughs> Number eight. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. 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 I, I loved that. <laughs> the the ambiguity though, her in the mental ward or whatever, 
was also reminiscent of uh, Terminator 2 and the Sarah Connor stuff. I, I never oh, got yeah. sense true. that it was, you know, potentially all in her head or anything. But, Will, you said you had a couple of particular points. Well, I mean, you've, you've hit on some of them there, but the one in particular, and now this could, of course, it can all be uh, explained with it's all in her head, mm. including her visit to the psychiatric ward, etc. But if that baby was really abducted, and she's in the psychiatric ward for three months. Who's feeding it? Like it can't. It can't be alive at the end. Then. No, and I'll give you that. the The final moment where they all kind of burn her on the funeral pyre and act as a mob, if you like, is really, really sort of unbelievable in any sort of narrative of the film. It's like there is no reason for them to do that. There is no reason for them to form a kind of Wicker Man style. <laughs> mob like if you hear someone crying in a bonfire you don't just go oh well, i'll tell you what we'll burn it then <laughs> you know <It's> like, really <laughs> this will get them out <laughs> yeah she exactly. sounds upset this is the nice thing it's, to do <laughs> it's very unclear as to why this sort of group mentality happens other than the sort of the fear of the candy man which up until that point all of those characters that make up the mob have been quite adamant that they don't really believe <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get the sense they thought anyone was in there. No, it's very confused. The The ending is just kind of like, well, no one knows what's going on now. We're just through the looking glass. <laughs> Actually, none of this needs to make any sense whatsoever. I'm quite happy to just go along for the, the ride. Enjoy the ride. I mean, ultimately, I was the same as Will, where essentially the hook of the movie, so to speak, is that Ta-da. speaking into the mirror... And that's the thing I remembered from watching it as a kid. And sadly, I don't think I'll take much more from it this second viewing. Fair enough. I'm going to give you two other things. Number one, it's very short. One hour 37. It is a nice breezy watch. Why why aren't more movies at that length? And that's a whole other discussion. The other is that Something that there is an element that isn't in other horror films, many other horror films that I can think of, which is the whole the vibe, particularly in the first hour, is a pervasive sadness. While it also is ramping up the fear, and it's a kind of a slow build of the tension, there is something in it that's kind of like melancholy throughout, which you don't get a lot in horror films. I don't know, it's an unusual. Uh, secondary vibe I think it's worth acknowledging that's all mm. fair play that's it I'm all right let's, <laughs> ready, ready let's for scores go. go on Andy yeah I thought I was going to really hate this and give it like a three so I've probably been a bit more positive than I thought I was going to be but ultimately I still didn't massively enjoy it the first half probably would have got like six for me like I say I think the like psychological elements and stuff were quite good. And then the second half I really didn't like because it changed to a, a tone of a type of film I don't like. Boogie Man slash a horror film. And also the plot was nonsensical in the second half. So I'd probably give the second half of it like a three. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give it a probably generous five overall. All righty. It could be a case of my sort of reality versus expectation. But I think the film achieved more than it deserved to. 
a kind of more than this type of film should be expected to. It does clear, have clear and obvious flaws, <laughs> especially in the plot <laughs> department, some of the sense-making. But as you say, Phil, it's just over an hour and a half long. It's a fun, breezy watch. I think I'm going to give it a solid 7 out of 10. Ooh. Okay. So, yeah, it's been interesting. And I, again, I just wasn't picking up on most of the subtext stuff that you were talking about, Phil. I think the mix of tone and theme actually detracts overall because it doesn't quite execute either the kind of drama side nor indeed the kind of just slasher side fully. So it kind of falls short on both sides for me. Having said that, it was pretty easy to watch and I did find it pretty funny towards the end. And it's not a badly made film. It's a a five for me as well. I'd, I'd agree with that, Sage, but because I was expecting it to be a full-on slasher horror, even though it didn't really f- like follow through with any of the drama elements, I was still glad that they were there. Yeah, I just think it's against high competition. And this is the thing. I think it's, it's worthy of a, a little bit of... It's worth a rewatch, and I think. And that's enough for yeah. me. It doesn't mean that it's a great movie. It's just that it's a, it's something that's not the same, and uh, that makes it interesting to me. So, that do I ask? Do I do I get to give a score? You certainly, of course, absolutely. You, ha- you have absolutely. to give a score. Yeah, otherwise <laughs> you're off the then, podcast. Well, my score, my score. I give it a seven. You know, I give it a seven, but it's with a uh, a massive acknowledgement that the the last reel is ludicrous. Part of that is that they genuinely did invent a canonical bogeyman in the sort of Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, Leatherface sort of thing, which is a horror fan is kind of like, okay, I just kind of have to give that lip service a little bit, you know. Uh, but I think as you, as you noted, perhaps partly the reason you picked it, it's been a bit lost to history. Uh, yeah, it's no, it's not, exactly that. It's not talked about. Isn't there a remake? Oh, really? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, it shows how thoroughly I researched this. I would be um, very interested to see how they reassess some of the mm, issues in the film Jordan particularly Pale. that would be really good i think the time is right to do a reassessment in a sort well, of that guy's market really looking at his previous team no i mean in fairness i would argue that both of peel's films balance those two different tones what, sorry what's better. what's what so his he, films? Did, he did get out and oh uh, which i adore and uh, us as well then yeah yeah Okay, so, yeah, I, I think it's perfect it. for him, and yeah, I agree. It would be interesting to to see what he does with it. Oh well, then I will be the first in line for those. Just for my own curiosity, hmm. how how do you think they filmed the mouthful of bees? Do you think he just had a mouthful of bees? Well, I assume so. Yeah, I mean, it's just pre CGI, really, isn't it? It really made <laughs> me uncomfortable. It really so when I he opened his they just up. And, and he's and he's made of bees. That was quite yeah. gross, but in a fairly typical horror way. But the mouthful of bees really, really disturbed me on quite a deep level. Well, I can only <laughs> presume that they they use stunt bees, especially trained stunt bees. Especially trained stunt bees. I think yeah. I read that that they used really young bees because they're right because they're, they're less they're aggressive and, and less likely <laughs> to sting, and are more delicious. Yeah. Well, perhaps we could give it a go this weekend. We can all. Let's do, all do our own experiments and we'll report back. 
<laughs> Come back with a face like a melon. Oh yeah, I got an adult B. <laughs> so, All yeah. right, shall we move on to the album? Watch it slipping away. There it goes. Things that we used to say don't make sense anymore. Don't make sense anymore. Watch it slipping away. There it goes. Things that we used to say don't make sense anymore. Don't make sense anymore. Uh, so that album is Magic Mirror by Pearl Charles, released this year of our Lord, 2021. It's 37 minutes and three seconds long. Phil, what made you decide to bring this album? Okay, I mean, it's very similar thinking to why I brought Candyman, in that what I've really tried to choose is some really sort of mainstream commercial type choices that I think are a little bit interesting and fuzzy around the edges. So um, and this is a record that I've really kind of enjoyed over the last few months. It came, I think it came out in November last year. As you'll know, I'm well into my sort of Americana and country rock. There's something that sort of sits on the edges of those sort of things. And I mean, I could, I'll go into some more detail as to why. But again, I think it's an artist that's sort of tried to move away from doing a very standard kind of country rock palette into making a pop album and has sort of slightly failed. And I think the intre- the reasons why it doesn't quite work are make it interesting. That makes sense. And worth, worth talking about. Okay. It's an interesting perspective. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just a really nice record as well. You know, if nothing else. What, what I must admit, I, I, I disagree with. I don't know Pearl Charles's other work. So... Mm-hmm understanding that she's come from country into making this kind of more poppy record provides extra context that I I haven't had until now. It's not going to change my mind. I don't think very much. I feel like, well, I don't think, I don't think the songs are very interesting to be quite honest. No, I knew that you wouldn't. That's okay. I think the kind of country rock vibe could be Fleetwood Mac Yes. Uh, B-sides. Don't yes. get too excited. No, I know that's exactly <laughs> what I think it is. That's exactly what I think it is. I think I can't help but think, if I want this, why wouldn't I listen to Fleetwood Mac? Because I think it's really nice. But I think there's exactly that. I think there's a lot of, I think the touchstones for me are exactly that kind of, it's, it's Fleetwood Mac, it's the Carpenters, it's the... You know, like you say, it's just sort of a standard eagle style country rock sort of record that um, has got some really nice little fuzzy bits, and uh, I've quite enjoyed it. There are there are albums that we've done that I haven't particularly liked that I found it difficult to go back and listen to because I don't because I off first listen I've decided I don't have any interest in it, and it's hard to give it a enough of a listen to properly review it and i i haven't found that at all with this like it's very easy listening sure um not that i'm saying that i've listened to it anymore necessarily it's just that i've not i don't mind putting it on but i i pretty much agree with will like i think the influences are so clear that it almost sounds like a pastiche of it like is a good word yes like it could have it it could just be the songs that aside from the first one which sounds like abba the it rest does. Of, why why is that 
the rest of the album sounds like piano yeah sounds like the songs that didn't make it onto dreams well i mean i I agree and i don't i in the sense that right absolutely that's 100 percent correct i think it's really is a very it's a genre record that is like a sort of a very american standard country rock record and it's one of those that that's how i heard it the first time that i heard it as well and I've just sort of, it's kind of rolled around. And the, the more that I've listened to it, some of those melodies have really got the hooks in me. It, it suffers a little bit from bad track listing. In my eyes. I'm going to try and defend it a little bit because I do like the record. I really do. Um, although not so much that I'm going to die on this hill or anything like that. <laughs> you know? um, it's, I chose this because it's something that's been a kind of a light relief for me over the last few months. And I've actually really enjoyed just putting on this record when I've needed to. I think tracks two and three are very uh, slightly weak. I think it starts with a bit of a banger. This big ABBA, big pop chorus, sounds like a pop record. And I think um, in tracks four and five, it really goes into that Carol King, Carpenter's sort of classic songwriter area. And they sound great. I Honestly, I, I really think that the, those couple of songs like don't feel myself and magic mirror the ones i'm talking about are they're very good songs but then again you it slips back quickly into three or four songs after that where they're very there's a little bit of here's some more country rock here's a verse chorus verse chorus what i've really been enjoying about it is in each one, they've started just adding little bits of studio magic, whether it's a weird little keyboard or here's a banjo is on this track. Those little moments where you break outside of the song that you were trying to record and you make it sparkle a little bit. And I, I keep hearing those little moments throughout the record. My knowledge of country music is lacking. But I, I must admit, as you say, like some of the instrumentation, um, simply the fact it was there on a on a on a poppier style record i think mm. added added a bit of interest i don't think not being hooky is a problem i'm just not sure the hooks are distinct enough to be kind of ultimately memorable i came away from one kind of listen through mm. and I, I can't remember which song it is now but i was whistling a fleetwood mac song like i got the vibe oh. but just not not the song and kind of walked away with something else in my head um, and I think that's that's a, a bit of an indictment for me. It is. I, I don't want to defend it too vehemently. You know, I'm not overly sold on it. But I will say it has worked for me. What were your thoughts, Mark? I think everyone can probably guess. <laughs> uh, Loved it. It's, it's, yeah, I, we've had this thing a, a few times as well with other records where I get the general pleasant vibe and everything like that. To be honest, more and more, that kind of stuff just does my head in. I don't want pleasant background, I've decided. <laughs> it's just, you know, I, I just want to listen to stuff which is good and engaging and original and emotional. This Do you not is think not emotional? emotional. Co- no. Do you really not Absolutely think so? I, I, th- I think there really is. I, w- I, w- I would. That's where I would take some issue. And I, I genuinely think there's a, quite a lot of heart in this. I really, I actually really feel it's, it. It's a, it's a sterile record to me. Like the, the musician, all the little parts you mentioned before. I was, I was counting up earlier. I don't mm. hate the album. There are a couple of songs which I think are quite reasonable. But like, take the imposter as an example. The, the chorus to which was just coming into my head and you mentioned before about the cycling around in your head and whatnot. Yeah. I think in truth, and I'm not saying 
that this is always the case, but if you listen to anything enough, you can listen to a song on the radio and think that's crap. It will still be in your head the next day, potentially. Yeah, that's, okay. the, that's what pop music is to some extent, you know? Sure. Um, but in that song, The Imposter, I counted three separate uh, keyboard parts. Um, I haven't done that. There's but... a bass. I think the bassist is quite good. He's, well, he or yep. she is, is one of the plus points for me. There's a couple of different guitars. There's pedal steel. There's a horn section. There's harmonies. There's vocals. There's all this stuff thrown into the mix. And ultimately, I'm, I'm the opposite. I just like they've got all this stuff and yet nothing is really penetrating other than a kind of hollow yeah, it sticks in your head a bit because she repeats the chorus like four times and it's exactly the same each time. I think that's exactly what I've enjoyed about it is there's the, those sort of simple lines. I, I don't know, maybe it's the sort of, I, I found it very tasteful. It's just felt it like... It is tasteful, uh, but do you not... Kind of, I kind of like that, you know? Do you not get the sense that in some... To, to me, it almost sounds like, right, here's... And I don't, I don't know. I did try and look it up, and it's interesting because mm-hmm. it doesn't actually go into who her band is anywhere that I can see, which I don't really like, to be honest. I mean, I think they're mostly like session, them. the LA session guys, you know. Well, session. yeah, exactly, and that is exactly what it sounds like to me. It just sounds mm-hmm. like a load of session players who are playing perfectly competent, tasteful stuff, as you say. But again, I'm bored of tasteful. It does nothing for me. It's all just uh, cliches. Um, you know, pretty much every instrument, again, with the exception of the bass, where I think there was one song in particular, I think, is it Slipping Away? Uh, yes, Slipping Away. Really nice bass line. It's got a, like a little groove. Yeah, it's got a little... Yeah, sort of really bass. nice. And the thing is, I don't have those same touchstones. Like, it's partially because I haven't listened to them, but that is partially because by its very nature, that kind of genre, it's fairly basic chords, it's fairly basic melodies. Cool. Like absolutely no objections to to it and it's it's perfectly fine but it's not what i seek in the music that no I that's been the draw for me so i just kind of enjoyed this record on its own merit i really did it was just kind of like almost like that little oasis that just sort of reminded me of some of the records that i listened to when i was growing up that it was the simplicity of it and i totally get that it is uh essentially a sort of a pastiche of some of those records but there is enough stuff in it that makes me sort of enjoy hearing the process of it. That's fair. And I understand that point. I just don't get that personally because to me, every choice I saw coming, it's like almost every note she goes to feels like, okay, yeah, that's part of that scale. She's just going up and down on the notes that I would kind of expect. There was but never that, a isn't, moment. Isn't, isn't that exactly what the genre requires though? Yeah, but I, 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 yeah. I kind of agree. Like, I think it's interesting you say like it's a genre album. I've never really thought about that, but. Me neither. I can't really think of any examples of a genre album that I, no, that's not true. There's probably maybe a bit of sort of quite stripped back acoustic stuff. I can like something that's really set within a genre. Generally speaking, like there's there's very little that I like that is like very nice nicely like tied up with a little bow within one genre. And um yeah, I sort of agree with you, Mark. I think like it it is very tasteful and there is a load of like variations in instrumentation, but I don't think any of it none of it's really doing anything fantastically interesting. I, I love dissonance and it's maybe not 
appropriate to be like popping up in this album but there is no dissonance there's no blue notes in there there's there's nothing that like there's nothing that really piques my interest or my ear like picks out i wanted to pick up as well like mark you said that you didn't think there was any sort of sentimentality in it i i i don't think that's true well, not sentimentality it, just emotion emotion i I, yeah. I i don't i really and that's the one thing that i will say i don't think is true i think this is a uh, written from the heart so, so do I. I think that there's a bit of a juxtaposition sometimes between the lyrics and the song. Like there's quite often quite a sort of positive summary vibe going on to the song and then quite sort of down introspective lyrics. Yeah. But I think like actually particularly the further the album goes on, it, it, it's almost like too over-sentimental. As I think I talk- it veers into well, it veers into Ryan Adams territory quite yeah. a lot for me. Into that sort of like, oh, I am the sad songsmith, yeah, sort of thing. Here I am telling my tale of woe. Yeah, I think like it gets a bit over sentimental. Um, I think that I've spoken about it before on the podcast where I think like you, you either sell lyrics or you don't. Like it's it's not necessarily the lyric writing; it's sometimes just the way that you sell it. And I just didn't buy into it. It just it kind of lost me a bit and i i actually had a problem with the lyrics in the last song as well which, which is the last one as long you're mine or which yeah is it, is long, it the one where yeah. she talks about like so long as like the we can let the world end so long as we're together basically yeah it's like climate change let the bombs fall as long as we're together <laughs> yeah i like that it's, i, so I, I, I found, was, the, I I found the lyrics actually slightly problematic in that it's just like this isn't a positive message for people no i i <laughs> that made me laugh when i, heard it the time. I was just kind of like going like yeah, all right, fuck it, you know. Yeah, yeah I, acti- <laughs> I actively disagree with those lyrics. <laughs> yeah, which, yeah, well, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed being challenged. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm not really, I, I feel like I'm defending this record more than I have to, but it's, um, <laughs> I was fine with that. <laughs> well, Shai, can I just sort of say, all right, I think for, I'm going to say right, a couple of things. Number one, I really think that um, I don't feel like myself and Magic Mirror in the middle of the record are two really, really lovely sort of like, they sound like Carpenters-esque standards. And I know that that is exactly the cliche that they're going for, but I think they're really lovely. I think regardless, I, I think they're really, really well, um, well-written, nice songs. I don't think you're sort of, I don't think it being kind of comfort music, if that is, if that's fair to say, Phil, I don't yep. think that's invalid because I think I indulge in that in other parts of my taste. But it's not what I'm looking for in music. Um, oh, I wouldn't have thought for, so. Well. For that reason, uh, this album has not not achieved uh, what it set <laughs> out to achieve. Having said that, I think as Andy mentioned earlier, I never really found it a pain to listen to. Like it, it it's not it's not horrible. It is pleasant. She she has a, a nice enough voice. The instrumentation is nice enough. Fine, but it, it's never interested enough to raise it beyond kind of background for me it, it, it slipped into way i do think uh, mark mentioned then magic mirror i think probably was my favorite song it had some of the more interesting kind of uh, chord movement in it um and i quite like the strip back but to cut to the chase i'm gonna give it a four out of five out of five 
Eight out of sorry, ten. Sorry, a four out of ten. I was going to say, that's a high score, Well, <laughs> Crikey, yeah, up. sorry. Uh, yeah, it uh, really didn't work for me. Eight out of ten. No, four, four out of ten. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that really, that didn't sound right. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I'll, I'll just go next. I mean, for me, it's a six. That's where I stand on it. It's just kind of like, this is, like I said, it's a nice record. I've enjoyed it. It's, I felt like it was above average, but no more. And uh, it's made me very happy over the last few months. But I certainly won't be uh, wearing, I won't be wearing the band t-shirt. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I've got a very, um, I've got a very easy way to uh, judge things that fall around the middle now, because I just use the Matt Berry test. You're giving every, it a Berry. Like, everyone, <laughs> everyone knows that Matt Berry is a five. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, every single element about it is bang average. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to give You're it solid a, five. Then I'm going to give it a four as well. I'm oh sorry. yeah, I thought it's it's berry. And now just I misses sat, out on the berry. I set it up to be a berry, but I, I, I find it. I found it more boring than a berry. I'm afraid <laughs> more boring um, than a berry. There's your sound bite. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I sort of agree with with Will essentially that I didn't. Well, I said I didn't mind listening to it at all. Like I think a lot of it is quite pleasant, um, but yeah, the elements that you're talking about that you you said kind of lifted it. Mm. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really find any of those, and like ultimately was a little bit bored by it. So yeah, four out of ten. Not awful. But four <laughs> Not out of ten. Awful. <laughs> Put that on their uh, Facebook page. Not <laughs> <awful>. <laughs> okay, so I've mentioned previously about you know the critical viewpoint or whatever, and I think someone said, "Well, we are critics in this scenario." I guess my why I said that the the difference is here. If I was reviewing this for a magazine or something, which by the way I looked up some reviews and they were almost universally very positive really I'm I've, never, I've never seen any by. of them but okay really bemused by they almost um, they almost always actually, are, in a weird way that in a weird way that doesn't surprise me and that it sounds because of it it sounds a lot like the kind of records that the people who review rock records would like isn't it i i think it's a it's a, a lesser known figure thing that the only people that are reviewing it are the people that have actually heard of it and that tends to be because it's within their wheelhouse. Well, I, I guess the point is, if I was reviewing it critically for other people, mm. I would probably give it a five. Right. Um, my own personal feeling towards it is a three, and I'm gonna go with a three because it's me. I'm not reviewing it for Ooh, other fair people. Enough. Reason being, again, there's there's a there's a couple of okay songs, but even at its best it's okay i just there's nothing about it which really drives me back to listen to it and i i do agree it's not a pain to go back and listen to but it's not actively giving me anything and as i said before maybe it's just a current mood thing or whatever but that is just what's the point like it's doing nothing <laughs> for me uh, it's giving me nothing like it's just effectively kind of a time waster which is a waste of time because it, oh, it's no, not... Oh, now I feel like I've wasted your time, Mark. I do apologize. No. <laughs> that's, it's, it's interesting to discuss these things. I only did it in the context of this podcast. You know? And in fairness, you have, you have sold it. I understand 
what you take from it. And mm. I think it just comes down to ultimately you've got that genre of music or whatever, that particular Americana thing that you mentioned before, yeah. country, mm. whatever, which you really enjoy. And that's, that's cool. I, I guess it's yeah, just, I mean, I think there is, a, there is something there, that's interesting actually, because I think there are things that in it that are almost like uh, sort of late motifs, if you like, that will cause a positive reaction in me. You yeah. know, I can hear a little bit of slide guitar and that will peak my ear. I can now, that. now you're talking about music that I like. Yeah, there are definitely sense? musical you know, tropes that tropes is the I know, right I know yeah, they're yeah, tropes, yeah, yeah. but I like them. They're tropes that they exactly. just happen to work for me. So yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, maybe there is some of that. The, 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 when, they, when she uses the cliches, if you like, those cliches are your sort cliches. of tick the box exercises that make me yeah. go, oh, okay, I'm in a happy place. Right, I think we've uh, given Phil enough of a pummeling on the album, so uh, let's move on. To <laughs> Why am I getting about, uh, <laughs> It was just a, it was just a segue, Phil. Don't take it too personal. Oh, oh man, I feel like it was like you know, <laughs> just just moving us along. I didn't make the record. That's okay. <laughs> on. Um, on to your top mm. five list. So, what is your top five list this week, Phil? Well, I have chosen uh, to talk about my top five rock star haircuts, or rock stroke pop star haircuts. This is an area that I have strong opinions on. <laughs> and I'll try to, I'll try to sort of like um, keep it fairly clean. And, and in the, the five that I've picked, I've gone for the obvious choices for the sake of brevity, because otherwise we would talk till the early hours, I'm sure. Um, and, and these are instances where I think people within the sort of rock pop milieu, if you like, uh, have decided to adopt a haircut that would be absolutely unacceptable in any other public forum. <laughs> <laughs> Were you not a rock star? If you went to the co-op looking like this, you would attract attention. And I think they get a, a wide um they, they get a big pass sometimes i don't think that well people recognize that they're ridiculous but it's worth my point is to celebrate it let's say let's let's put a positive spin on it i'm celebrating absolutely absolutely I'm celebrating that so number five i've put as uh phil specter's big hair from his trial i was going to ask you which phil specter hair because he has had he, he has had like, some crazy haircuts. He looks and like the I world's like his, worst spy. Just puts on like different his, wigs. I like his. I love his Beatles cut in Easy Rider. I like his. You know what? Let's not go through the list. But yeah, the <laughs> the, the absolute well, it was the point that I think for most people the big reveal when we all heard that Phil Spector had been put on trial for murder. We're like, oh well, I'll have a look at that news story. And he looked insane because <laughs> he came out with a daffodil. Um, it was uh, it was wild of hair that was at least a foot in every direction, and um, none of us were expecting that. <laughs> I, mean, I knew what Phil Spector looked like in my head, and it wasn't that. I'm, I, I don't know how to expand on that. To be honest, I'm going to no, stop. Perfectly there. good, uh, perfectly good choice for your number five. I, uh, Marco, I, oh, I, are you going oh, for it, Andy? No, I was just going to say, I Googled it while you were talking about it. It's uh, it's something uh, to behold, isn't it? Spectacular. It's pretty wild. <laughs> I was um, going to say, Mark, Marco, do you want yeah, to go next? I, I, I can go, mate, yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll preface this by, obviously, speaking as a follically challenged man. 
It's, uh, <laughs> it's tough to take sometimes. Um, <laughs> so where, where Phil is celebrating the kind of extrovert nature of, uh, you know, rock stars, I get it. It's going to be my list will kind of sum up my uh, character, I suppose. So, all balls, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not all. <laughs> um, right now, number five, I have gone for. Uh, uh, right now, this this is weak rationale, but you'll you'll see why we we get back to this later. All ties together. It's beautiful. Um, so number five is uh, David Bowie uh, from the Heroes period. Heroes era, and okay. Two reasons. Well, tight, tight blonde, isn't he? I try to think what he looks like. Well, the, the cover sort of has a bit of a kind of slicked back, not quite Phil Dixon style. But, I was going to um, say, it actually sounds like the haircut that I usually have. That's why I'm taking <laughs> issue with this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, it should be should be Phil Dixon <laughs> on the list. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, to be honest, the, the, there's two reasons. One, I've always thought he, he doesn't think Bowie is quite a stylish, cool guy. Um, but mainly it was just because he appears, it appears in a lyric, which I like, which is uh, from the Frank Black and the Catholic song Western Star, which is uh, now he's heading skyward, standing up on piles of plywood, and all he thinks about is how he looks like heroes, period, Bowie. Boom. Nice. Number five. Okay, that's good rationale. <laughs> that's no, like, I can't yeah, argue with that. Was that an actual mic drop? <laughs> <laughs> it was a pen drop, but it was close enough. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to be one where I'm going to have a lot of swaps here. Um, perhaps, perhaps, in fact, none. Um, because what a band looks like, in fact, even who they are, isn't of a great deal of interest to me, if I'm totally honest. So... A lot of my choices are not necessarily the sort of wackiest or most unusual haircuts, but have some sort of connection uh, to me and, and the music. So the first one is uh, Frank Black, Teenage of the Year album cover, Era. It's just a widow's peak, shaved short, and is remarkably similar to what my hair looks like Shit. at that length. Makes you feel like a rock star, well. It makes me feel like a rock star. But for the grace of God, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a particularly spectacular uh, haircut, but it's a, it's a look that I strongly approve of. Well done, Frank. <laughs> okay, that's good. Andy? Yeah, solid choice. Um, um, yeah, I've, I'm absolute mix between, uh, between the different thoughts. I've got some outlandish, some, some not. Um, my first one is, or number five, is not an outlandish look. Um, it's one that I've been encouraging people to get recently, though, which is why I've put it in there, because I told Sam that he should, our previous podcast guest, that he should get this haircut. And I've also told Toby in the past, which is the uh, the like classic mod, uh, I mean, almost like the Beatles haircut. I mean, the Weller cut. The Weller cut, yeah. I mean, I've actually gone Jesus. for I've actually gone for early Noel Gallagher as the uh, yeah as the cut. I mean, I think there's only there's always certain places where you can really pull it off as a look. I think if you live close enough to Manchester as we do, it is super appropriate. 
I, don't no, I mean, in my, in my, I don't want to talk over you. In my opinion, this nearly made my list as a sort of, this is utterly unacceptable in all walks of life, oh, regardless of whether you're a rock star or not. I, it makes me Rockers angry. hate mods. I know that. I, I, well, okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is a sort of Gene Vincent versus, <laughs> you know, I, I, I am Ray Winston to Phil Daniels. In quadrupedia, if you I like. think also, but it, it, it angers me to see middle-aged men with the wellicut. I love, I love people that are still wearing it, at like you know, oh. well, in, well into their forties. You know, right? <laughs> oh uh, yeah, no, I, I find it a, a, bit, a little offensive. I, I, um, I'm getting, I'm getting cross thinking about it right now. <laughs> lovely stuff. Yeah, I think um, I really am. <laughs> I think it also leads into when you talk about sort of musical upbringing and whatever, like I've spoken before about my love of very middling indie and through the nineties and early noughties, everyone had that haircut. So I wanted that haircut and I could never grow it because my hair's super wavy and unmanageable. It's a gateway drug into listening to the stone roses. And no one needs that in their life. <laughs> that I actually, that I actually agree with, but yeah, I'm fine with that. But I don't want to. I don't want to side with you. So I'll uh, fine. Call myself <laughs> a Stone Roses fan for right now. That's fine. I, you know, I, lo- I, I love the Happy Mondays. I'll stand by that. But I, I would quite happily not walk into another Manchester pub and hear a Stone Roses song for the rest of my life. That's fine. I, right? I just think it lasted for so long as well. Like Arctic Monkeys it really has it when really they, when they started, uh, and like everybody it's early exhausting, isn't had it? it. It's exhausting. I just wanted it. I wanted it as a teenager. And this is it. I, I I I feel qualified to talk about in that. Look, I was, you know, I was a Stone Roses fan in the early nineties. I was an Oasis fan in nineteen ninety four. You know, when that happened, that was exciting. By nineteen ninety five, I hated it. My point being, it was like the, you know, there was nothing to get into there, was there? You know, and the haircut is an epitome of that. The, the point that the Weller haircut was on TFI Friday with Chris Evans, it it was a done deal for me. That's you know? the line. So, Phil, your number four. Yes. Right. Number four is a really obvious choice that I think will be on everyone's list somewhere. It should be, which is Lamal. Lamal had the maddest haircut of all pop stars ever. He's got three haircuts at the same time. He's got a spiky haircut at the top. He's got a mullet at the back. He's got highlights. I mean, it, it's incredible. I and mean, when my sister and I uh, were so deep into now, that's what I call music. That was our main entry point into pop music Lamar was an absolute hero to us for all of those reasons the heck it was a big part of it we, we love Lamar I love him now did he or she do the never ending story feature? yes yes damn yes. straight okay yeah well acceptable then I it's indescribable you, you know please google it immediately it's like it's a mullet at the back yeah a spiky like a, like a mop yeah like a sort of um with amoeba, style amoeba sort of thing yes. on top anemone maybe rather yeah than... an, an anemone and then sort of the colors of a colors of a, a skunk of a madman yeah i mean it is extraordinary it i is, i've never yeah. seen it's like um and, it something. It, and any any top five list would be deficient if it wasn't on it somewhere in between the between the five of us so I mean, you know it had to be acknowledged Using there, there is no way there is no way you could go to the office dressed like that. Um, yeah. If 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 someone turned up with that haircut, 
I would think, to be honest, prick. But yeah. then, if I discovered that they sang the theme tune to The NeverEnding Story... But you would think this is the best yeah. person in the entire world, and of course they've got that haircut. I mean, it's a superb choice. Yeah. Great Everyone else. Mm-hmm. Marco, your number four, yep. Chief. Uh, Brett Anderson, early suede. Brett Anderson. The, the side comb. Yeah, sort of foppish, androgynous look. He, he, he is a thing of beauty. He is a beautiful man. For me, yeah, seeing the Metal Mickey video on the chart show, the ITV chart show on a Saturday morning. And me and my sister watched that. And I, it was like, a, I, I don't know. I, can't, I cannot overstate the electric spark that went through the pair of us at that moment and when my life is completely changed. And that sounds ridiculous, but we, we both just went, right, that's what I'm into now. From Suede, we found we found the Pixies, we found the Smiths, we found et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And every piece of great guitar music that we ever, you know, that was the an absolute catalyst that moved us from listening to pop music to listening to more sort of interesting art, rock music. And without question, it's a pivot point in my life that I remember. There you go. So yes, 100%, I agree. Yay. That, that is the only one of my five you'll be content with. <laughs> <laughs> now, superb choice. I think there's that sense of androgyny is quite tied into uh, rock and roll music throughout lots of different mm. eras. You say particularly kind of glam, and uh, but definitely into that kind of nine, eight, late, late 80s, early 90s sort of indie rock. Uh, but yeah, another good choice, buddy. Um, for now, my number four... I actually probably should have put this at, uh, at number five because it's the only one I don't really have a musical connection to as per se, but more of the most pandering of my list, I think. So I have picked <laughs> uh, Jim Gillette from the band yes. Nitro because it was quite simply the most 80s, like metal mm-hmm. 80s hairdo I'm, I could I'm not find I'm not on the internet. <laughs> it is uh, just an extraordinary plume of bleach blonde hair ending like very long probably two-thirds of the way down his back clad in black <laughs> leather it's just it's such a bizarre mixed message of uh perhaps the least toxic masculinity where they were real men but they were men that also used lots of hairspray <laughs> no it reminds me very much when i was in leicester as a student there used to be this guy who we called the mullain noir who we adored we would see him in town and he had this hair that was just like nothing else you'd ever seen. Like you said, it was this, it was big <laughs> and it went down his back a good sort of uh, like to his waist. And the bottom 12 inches were like separated into spikes oh my and then dyed blonde in a sort of gradient of sort of from black is like natural hair color through to a blonde and a sort of gradient down. I mean, I, I want to know more about his life. He was in, he was an immense figure in our lives. I never just met the him. effort of doing that. Like I understand if yeah. you are a kind of glam rock star, right? It's part of the gig. But if this you're a, some dude a in bank, Leicester, you know, a bank clerk in RBS, yeah, like it, yeah. <laughs> the, the effort you go into to produce that hair. Oh, that's every an hour's work must, every morning, oh, easily. easily, easily. Yeah, I, what a hero! I, I, I think about him often. <laughs> but anyway a bit of a straight down the middle option for me there for number four with jim gillette but uh wow it's hair all right andy you're number four buddy 
Um, I thought we would end up with the lists being, I, I actually, I mean, nobody's had a female pick so far and I wasn't sure whether anybody would. So I've, uh, so I've put a uh, couple of female picks in mine to mix it up. Uh, so number four, I've gone with uh, Debbie Harry. I'm thinking like late seventies, early eighties, where you've got the like peroxide blonde, Mm. Um, like the short mop, basically that she had, like just an absolute like classic like female punk look. Looked like she cut it herself at home. Don't know whether she did or whether it was styled like that. But yeah, I just think it's uh, it's just badass, isn't it? Like, it really, it really is. And I, you know, I, I'm totally going to jump on that. And that my near misses both included Amy Winehouse's massive bouffant, which mm, I adore. Yeah, it's good as well. And uh, Ari Oops, big. Buffon from when she was in the slits, but I, I am also very conscious that I haven't put any females on the list because I think they really the the whole point of this list they need to be held up for ridicule. And I, I was I genuinely struggled to think of one where it was like like Debbie Harry's cut, where it's like, well, you does she look ridiculous? No, she looks amazing. So yeah, she, it yeah, was exactly that. Yeah, it it's like, just like yeah, bad. I went, I went, right, for the, I, went like, for the, I went for the comedy vibe. Yeah, and it was just like, do you know what? That looks too cool. It does look cool. It's super cool. That's it. It's just yeah. so it's so DIY but so stylish. Like it just like encompasses everything that's good about uh, like. I thought about like you know Bjork when she did uh, when Bjork did all the little mini pigtails all over her, and it was like, mm. is that no one would do that in normal life, but. Wow, she looked really, really, really cool. So <laughs> I'm not going to take the piss out of it because it looked too good. <laughs> Bill, your number... Uh... Exceptional. Yeah, your number three. Oh, so. Back to me. Uh, this is a bit of a niche one, and I acknowledge that. But uh, I'm going to choose Jim Bob from Carter, the Unstoppable Sex Machine in the early 90s, which no one will ever really remember. So I'm going to have to sort of describe it to you a bit. But um, suffice to say that being the age that I am, a lot of people attempted to copy this hairstyle while at high school. And they, if you're not an actual Brit-winning rock star, it's unacceptable, which is... Just, to looked, have a just full, looked it up. It's, uh, it is yeah, it's a full crew great. cut. With, it's a full crew cut, but with what... How do I describe it? What, the startings of what you might call a quiff, except that you've grown it to 12 inches long... Mm. Hanging over your face. Oh, it's down to yeah. the bottom. It's down to the bottom of his neck. Like, oh, is it? Yeah, it's long. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous, isn't there's it? A, there's so a picture of it like tough... half half blowing up in the wind as well, which right. is super. So there's a tuft of hair that's grown down here, but with a crew cut all over. <laughs> I mean, like a, I, sort of I, I, I knew. Yeah, backwards ponytail is a really good way to describe it, and. I knew 15 and 16-year-olds who went into high school with that haircut. And, um, you know, that's um, obviously ridiculous, isn't it? I've got to say, I was unaware of, uh, of of Jim Bob, but it is a pretty unique haircut. Got to give you that. I mean, it's disgraceful, isn't it? No one needs that in their life. <laughs> Mark, you're number three. See, it's the lady with, with pigtails, Bjork. Ah! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> specifically um and i would venture that this is actually the most outlandish out of any of the picks in some respects <laughs> if if you google bjork medulla haircut 
Now, effectively, she looks like a bloody superhero heroine. Uh, she's got basically her hair done up so that it makes her eyes into a mask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just looked at it. Yeah. Absolutely magnificent. I mean, is it open to ridicule? Yes, but actually... Yeah, York's one of those just does it with so much confidence that you I just buy into it I'm like of course she doesn't look stupid she's Bjork no. yeah. I mean that's pretty amazing and yeah that this is this is the point that I've sort of slightly discounted anybody who's so who's ventured into the art pop area to the point that actually that looks pretty cool that's, that's no good to me <laughs> It's pretty it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. It's, it's about I, I, as in, in, the, in the in the can you walk down the co-op dressed like that without ridicule? Absolutely not. Absolutely she probably not. She probably could. I um, would. I would definitely look at her weird. As I would, you know, I might not. I wouldn't say anything because I'm a nice person. You know, I'm not going to point <laughs> and shout. But I, I reckon I would definitely sort of go like, uh, what's she doing? I it would, depends whether yeah. you see her in co-op and go, that's Bjork. Because if <laughs> yeah. you went like, that's Bjork, you'd be like, well, that looks fucking cool, doesn't it? If you were like, that's that person that works in Aldi, or yeah. I don't know why she'd be in co-op if she works in Aldi, but... Um, Perhaps I, would this quiet, is the... I would be quietly judging her in my conservative then, yeah, mindset. Perhaps this is the grand scheme of Bjork, though. Who's going to recognise her in a shirt and T-shirt, like shorts oh, and a T-shirt, walking around co-op? Nobody's, nobody's going to think twice about her. She's not dressed like a swan. No. Can't be Bjork. Yeah, be silly. <laughs> nice week. <laughs> well, uh, okay. So uh, my number three, um, perhaps an obvious one, and uh, maybe maybe there's a crossover here, but it is Keith Flint from The Prodigy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, specifically the sort of full-on Green Wings era. Yeah, I was at an age. Uh, I'd have probably only been about four or five when Prodigy maybe a bit older but i'd have been quite young when prodigy were kind of in their heyday and i found keith flint quite an intimidating character um i think particularly the popular music i'd been exposed to at that point had never had that kind of level of aggression and even some of the older punk stuff seemed a bit kind of tame in comparison i don't know there was something quite um well, yeah, I've said it really quite aggressive about the whole the whole thing, but within that, I was both sort of scared of it, but also quite quite intrigued by the whole the whole thing. Well, for me, I I immediately I disqualified Keith. I'd thought about Keith Flint, but I've disqualified him much on the same grounds that I um, disqualify people like the Exploited with their big mohawks and stuff because it's just smacks. It's trying too hard. It's like they they think that it's you know that they're they're being, um, you know, they're out there. But um, that's no good. What, I, what I'm looking for is for somebody who thinks they look cool. I see, I see. I, I, mean, I totally accept your rationale. Yeah, to me, to me when I was um, that I, age. I think that's purposely, he, he's, he's purposely wearing that haircut to elicit the response that he got from you. You play right, right. into his hands, Will. You play right into his hands. I feel like such a fool. <laughs> <laughs> but it was quite I guess it was quite a transformative uh, moment for me I'm actually not that no, big no a prodigy fan in general it's more like the the attitude and the and the styling of it at least for those kind of teenage years certain, certainly directed my 
I didn't have big green wings, sadly. Never really had the hair for it. But no. in general, kind of directed my uh, my styling, I guess, for my early teen years. So that's it. Andy, number three. Cool. Um, not got much to say about this one because it's very similar to the last one. Um, not in style, but in my feelings, which is uh, Annie Lennox's. I'm thinking like Sweet Ooh. Dreams. Sure, um, the buzz cut, mm-hmm. the the fiery orange buzz cut. Um, like I say, exactly right. the same feelings from um, the Debbie Harry pick. Really, that is just a badass look, and I don't think that many people could pull off that and still look great. And she does. <laughs> My problem is with that is that I think she would look super cool. I think if you saw her down Tesco, you would think, wow, what a striking looking individual. She looks yeah, but amazing. You, did, you didn't clarify that was uh, the reason we yeah. had to be picking things. Most of mine I've picked because <laughs> I think they look cool. It did um, actually grace Jones cross my radar mm. for well, a, bit, yeah, for, for no, a, a pretty similar similar reason um in the end i didn't have a really strong enough kind of musical connection to grace jones more of a bond one so i i, I didn't pick her but no it's fine i accept it that's fine i'm changing the rules as i go that's a, <laughs> a, a wonder, that's, if, if we were picking the top five best rock star haircuts that would be right up there there'd be a solid sort choice of been, it's sort of implicit in doing? top five rock haircuts it's implicit but much like mark the top said five it's kind of like well i'm not <laughs> I, it's like ultimately, I come down. Well, I'm not interested in that. It's like saying top five sandwiches. Oh no, not not your top five favourite sandwiches. No. It's just a top five you like to make. No, I'm not. I'm not, inter- I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in what actually tastes good. I'm. What I'm only interested in the process. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm interested in the process of making that sandwich. Yeah, absolutely. Go on, Phil. Your number other two. Number two, because of the utter, this is actually possibly number one, but it's so understated that I put it number two, which is Peter Gabriel's haircut for Gen- when he was in Genesis during the kind of lamb lies down on Broadway era, where he's got a widow's peak and he's chosen to sort of shave his head back into a sort of, so he's, he's reduced his hairline by, oh no, increased his hairline by about three or four inches. And I've never seen anything like it, ever. It, it looks like the haircut of an, a, a madman. I, I really don't know whatever. The only reason you would ever do it was because you were insane. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, my first thought it's Peter truly Gabriel remarkable. Was, my first thought was him dressed as a tree. So that's not that's not right. Really yeah, I mean, I, I agree that he was already pushing the boundaries of a sort of like performance art. And I think this haircut sits within a performance art repertoire, which makes it borderline. But there is, uh, presumably after the show finished, he still then needed to go out and have a pint, <laughs> you know, at the club bar with Phil Collins or whatever. Um, and people would have been looking at him like, wh- wh- why is, why have you done that? <laughs> it's kind of like everything, it's all the reverse Bobby Charlton. Whereas like Bobby Charlton has tried to cover his pattern boldness. He's accentuated it by shaving his hair back four or five inches so that his hairline is deeper than it actually exists in real life. I, I, I cannot think of any other precedent. It's the only, it's the only one I've ever seen of that. No one copied it. There's no sort of, you know, like with the punks, maybe someone had a spiky haircut. So people 
made their own That's version. Hackett, yeah. No one has ever made their own version of Peter Gabriel. The only Gabriel. one that I can think is, is remotely yeah. close, and admittedly isn't a very close representation, but the only one that pops to mind was the guy out of uh, Alien Ant Farm who just shaved a strip down the center of his okay, head. Okay, yeah, that's that's absolutely comparable. Yeah, okay, I guess a reverse Mohican, if you like. Yeah, okay. Um, I'll accept that. But yeah, I, I, I mean, kind of, I, it, it, it's madness. <laughs> madness. <laughs> it's a good pool to dip in. Uh, the, the prog rock has uh, some pretty interesting uh, hairdos and characters going on in there. But this, what, what, where is that going to be cool? I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I literally don't know. I, I don't know. It didn't look good. Do you, you think know, when you're testing like, the when boundaries? You look at like Bowie maybe had like outlandish haircuts, but you can always imagine that there would be some like groupies and stuff thinking, wow, you look amazing. I, I cannot imagine anyone looking at Gabriel and going, hello, you look sexy. It's you just, just like, imagine, you look insane. <laughs> when you're testing the boundaries of cool, though, you're going to make some mistakes, right? And that's, you know yeah, where. that's it. That's it. That's the, that's the acid test. Right oh, there. I've gone too far. Yeah, that's it. Cool beans. Uh, Marco, you're number two, buddy. Right. So, yeah, I, I have a history of misunderstanding these these top fives, but I feel this time everyone's <laughs> misunderstood it, aside from Phil. I don't really care. I don't think it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> Phil's just changed <laughs> no, no, the goalposts. <laughs> I just changed the goalposts. I think, well, I don't care, because for me, best means what's ridiculous. I don't know. You're all going for, like, super cool, and that's fine as well. I'm not going for super cool. I'm just going, I, yeah, it's... Hair, Phil. I, you know, it's never something that I've looked at and uh, been been moved by. I guess it's part and parcel. You can't have one without the other for me. With an exception of uh, number two, which I am very jealous of because it's exactly what I would want to do if I could. Which is Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. Yes, um, he basically, you know, I've always had this thing whenever playing on a stage or whatever. As you know, I'm pretty stage shy. I will mostly just look at the floor or look at myself playing, look down. That's bad, right? That, that's not hmm. That's not the in. Well, it depends. Have you got the Johnny Greenwood fringe? Is that what you're talking well, it, about? Exactly. So he he pulls it off. He does that all the time. But he looks cool because it's all like flopping cool. about in front of him and you know he gets away with it. So yeah, for that reason, uh, he, is, he is number two. I know, that's Airplanes. a great choice. No, that's yeah. exactly what I'm talking This is why I introduced it as a topic. <laughs> I because ha- otherwise we'd all had the same choices. That's perfect. This is, this is true. This Got is some true. classic sort of shoegaze stylings yeah, going on. Hundred percent. Yeah, great choice, man. That's a, a, a genuine like good choice. <laughs> um, but I will move swiftly on to my number two. Um, now my number two. It's not really the hair that he has, but more the hair that he doesn't, and that's. John Beard, the main singer from ZZ Top. Yeah. A band famous for having beards. <laughs> His name is Beard, but he has no beard. And that is the greatest tale in all of rock history. I present to you my number two, John I Beard. Can't, can't argue with that, Will. <laughs> everything, about, everything about it is... It's, when it dawned on me as an idea, <laughs> I laughed to myself so much. <laughs> <laughs> I probably shouldn't admit that your own jokes aren't good but um that's pretty good man I've been pissing myself on me <laughs> <laughs> Mr. John Beard the man without a beard oh, I think we good. need to leave it there move on yeah Andy <laughs> you're number two 
number two uh, is the person that I would definitely be if I went on Stars in Your Eyes. George Michaels. <laughs> no, although that would be a great pick as well. I reckon I could do Prince as well if I really had to. Oh, I'd love to see you do Prince. That'd be but, great. Um, <laughs> uh, Robert Smith. I'm thinking. Yes. I'm thinking like 80s, 80s cure. Mm-hmm. Not that his hair's changed mm-hmm. drastically over the time, but I think if Just I he's aged. I think if I had 18 months to grow my hair out, I could really rock a like like big back combed hair with the huge floppy fringe that comes down like below your nose, covering half of your face. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a great look for me. Yeah, Robert Smith was absolutely on my list, but got bumped out by Phil Spector's insanity, mm. which is um, which is fair. That that is great, but which is the it's basically the same, but more. Yeah, I, don't, I feel like I feel like Spector's just grown his out, whereas uh, I feel <laughs> he like, committed to it. I feel like Robert <laughs> Smith has really really styled this into that. It, no, that right. Like he's which really, is actually more. <laughs> Like that's really what he wanted. I agree. That's that's possibly more insane, isn't it? Like, can you Sorry. imagine what it looks like when he wakes up in the morning? Like, I think he's had to work for that look. I think he is quite self-aware about his his image and enjoyed it. Oh as yeah, well. definitely, I definitely got that. Whereas, right. whereas I think Phil Spector thinks he looks cool. Hmm. <laughs> you know, so you know that's the difference, isn't it? Hmm. Robert Smith sort of goes like. Well, this is my image. I think he looks great, though. I, it's a really, really good shout. It's hard to it's hard to think of a, a more bananas hairstyle off the top of my head. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Well, it's a solid. It's a solid number two, no question. You might have to, Phil, because it's now your number one. <laughs> well, my number one. I mean, it, it, there was no contest. I mean, this was the first name on the team sheet without any question whatsoever, which is Dave Hill from Slade. There's never been a better haircut. Absolutely. In in rock history, it's as simple as that. And not only, it, I, I don't even know where to start with it. I mean, the fringe is amazing. We can yeah. all think about the Vic and Bob uh, <laughs> at home with Slade thing. I mean, every, every I love everything about it. I love Slade. I love Dave Hill. I love actually in real world. I love how he plays guitar as much as it might annoy Mark for being. Uh, a series of rock and roll cliches. I think he is tight and tasteful and um, everything about him is ridiculous and lovely and I think he's wonderful. I think his hair is a huge part of everything that I adore about him. It looks like a haircut that very much sort of dominates an era. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, no, no one has ever, no one else has ever had that haircut. No one has tried to copy it. Why would you? It, why, well, why would you? You know, <laughs> indeed. You know, I mean, it lives alone, and it, it would be utterly unacceptable to have in any other walk of life, other unless you were in Slade. It's not even yeah. that you were in, in, a, in a band. That's the great thing about it. It's not. It's like, like Slash, for example, with his big flowing locks. That's unacceptable to have if you work in the co-op. But it's fine if you're in Bon Jovi. Yeah. Yeah, right. sure. But Dave Hill's haircut, unless you're in Slade, then, you know, it's unacceptable. You have to be in that. So you have to be actually Dave Hill to have that haircut. You do. You have to be born Dave Hill. Okay. Another solid choice there for your number one, Phil. Uh, Marco, so. your number one, good sir. Well, it, it's, it was given away by my number five, and uh, I believe it was your number five. So, uh, obviously, Frank... 
Big Frank. <laughs> Charles Thompson. Nice. Um, the, well, what era though, Mark? What era? So many different haircuts. Any era. This I was thinking about this, and it, it doesn't. I mean, it, in fairness, it's basically you know, first couple of years, some hair. After that, varying degrees of no hair. Um, but <laughs> it, it weirdly, the last time I saw him, he'd actually started growing it back out again. That was was not working very well for him. But um, no, he was he was full bald when I saw them at the Apollo last year. Yeah, well, there you go. But ultimately, for all this discussion and everything, it kind of sums up what I want in a rock star, which is just there is no, I don't know. He's just a, a normal man playing his no nonsense. Portly, bald, <laughs> doesn't give yeah. a fuck, and he's more yeah. rock than basically anyone else in the world, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, that's that's why he is uh, is my number one. Well, I've got a huge it's, it's amount of time for Frank Black. Well, I named my son after him, but you know, at the same time, would he not look better with a Dave Hill? That's what we've got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, now you put it like that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would like to see it. Just something, so to, sure, think, just yeah. something to think about. That's all. <laughs> um, okay, that brings on to my number one. Um, almost feel like I should have kept John Beard back that was a uh, <laughs> that was a good better, choice yeah, yeah. better response than I could have hoped for <laughs> I feel this can only be a disappointment this is more uh, more more heartfelt and personal oh, um, so my, no, my number one choice is uh, Michael Jackson's Jerry Curl oh I was I do you know I so toyed with that so sorry you carry on it, uh, it was yeah. there it was it was really there was really specifically there. from Thriller yeah absolutely um, it, Michael Jackson was one of my sort of first music loves that I must admit I've really like moved away from in later years. Um, and I've come back to a little bit recently, particularly sort of Jackson 5 era. But in my childhood, I had one of those videos that like collected all of his music videos up to a certain point, of course, from him being like a, a very young man just getting away from the Jackson 5 all the way up to mid to late 90s i think um but thriller was like a full film yep. it was about four minutes before the song starts of like a, a scene of a film and um it was before i had access to mtv vh1 kerrang whatever to see lots of sort of music videos and it absolutely just blew my mind as a as a kid 100%. um I don't think I really appreciated the quality of the music at the time. You know, I think in terms of how well played it is and how well made it is and how interesting a lot of the songs were, I think mm. I just, like, they were, they were catchy and he was cool as shit and he did some rad dances. And, uh... Well, it sort of goes back, it almost goes back to my earlier comment talking about suede being the pivot point for me. The like my sister and I were Michael Jackson and Madonna and Prince obsessives in the 80s because that's what there was. You know, it was just like we knew everything about them. Yeah. We had every record, we knew every poster, we read every interview, you would purposely go out and buy magazines because there was nothing else that was sort of a legitimate 
sort of pop stuff. You know, you'd read smash hits, of course. You'd so have mm-hmm. interesting music, like the Pet Shop Boys, maybe, or Julian Cope or something like that. But really, there was only two or three choices. And we, we lived and died by what Michael Jackson and Madonna did. You know, no so question. I watched that video almost to, to wearing point. Yeah, um, 100%. So it's a, it's a really good choice, and it made my nearly list absolutely. But um, uh, I thought oh, I'm not going to put it on there because I didn't want to sort of go down the whole soul glow. <laughs> uh, I thought I've already I, we've already had a sort of black movie choice. Do I really want to take the piss out of Jerry Curls as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I've not I've not approached with too much ridicule in my heart uh, apart from no, John Beard I, I, and absolutely. Jim Jet. I think it's, it is it is. Absolutely from a place of joy, uh, 100%. But, yeah, it's a great choice. Well, Thank you, sir. So, Andy, round us off. Yeah, I I put number one in and then worked backwards. I have a picture of this on my wall. so uh, And I'm surprised nobody else picked it, to be honest, But um, which is uh, basically the Ziggy Stardust uh, look, the red, the red mullet. Yeah. Actually, the picture is a jigsaw as well that pleases me. Someone gave it to me once and it fit in the picture frame that I had, so banged oh, it on the wall. Again, I thought about it, just disqualified because it looked too good. Oh, Simple looks, as that. Looks great. Like I, As well, I wasn't worried about going last because I thought somebody else might have it and I was just going to substitute another Bowie in. <laughs> Probably would have had Labyrinth or... Like, you well, now it's Jared. Of, Jared, Jared was... Jared was a very near miss, I have to say. <laughs> I have to say. But I thought on balance, Spectre pulled it off better. Yeah, the the, the Ziggy Stardust look is just... I mean, it fits the criteria-ish for you, Phil. You definitely couldn't work in co-op with that look. But, uh, I love it. Uh, yeah, but it no, is, I love but, it. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. Um, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's uh, completely deserving a number one place in any... Top five, yeah. No, quite right. Absolutely iconic look. I'm jealous that you've got a Ziggy Stardust puzzle. <laughs> yeah, someone gave it to me. That's an, awesome. Someone gave I'm sure it they're to not me that hard a, to buy. Yeah, as a throwaway Christmas present. It probably I, I, I don't feel quid. like it will be on... Well, yeah, <laughs> nice. Ah, lovely stuff. Great top five list team. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am genuinely astonished that nobody else but Dave Hill in the top five. I think you all need to go home and think about your lives. I, I have never looked at the man in my life before. I Let have say, now, did... and it's, uh, I, I probably won't again. Um, my but... dad was quite a fan of glam. Um, yeah. So like Slade and, and Sweet and T-Rex and whatnot. But you're right, like the Vic and Bob sketch is probably how I know it the best. When I um, when I googled Dave Hill to look up the haircut, uh, the first mm. thing that it came I up. Can't believe with, you had to look it up. What's the matter with you guys? Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that came up was um, has Beyonce copied Dave Hill's look? And it is pretty. Oh, it is ooh, pretty spot I, on. In fairness, I too what, saw <laughs> what because I'm a huge Beyonce fan and I've never seen a look like Dave Hill. So I'm going to Google that immediately. <laughs> yeah, really, really short fringe and. Uh, I mean, yeah. she's got a bit more of a fringe, but not a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's made my entire day right there. <laughs> if, if there was no... We've talked for nearly three hours, and if the only thing that comes out of it is that Beyonce had a haircut like, like Dave Hill, that's incredible. It's been, 
then it's been all worth it. It's been worth oh, the time. That's totally been worth it. I, I mean, I'm going to have sweet dreams tonight. Mm. Beyonce has Dave Hill's hair. John Beard doesn't have a beard. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay, so that wraps up all of our chats for today. Uh, next week's choices are Andy's. Andy, what's the film that you've picked? All right, so the film that I picked is not a film, so sorry about that. Um, but fuck it, we make our own rules. So uh, it's going to be <laughs> Bo Burnham's new special, Inside. Very good. Available on uh, Netflix. I'm not sure why I'm telling you. I'm sure you know. Uh, what's the what's the album that you've picked? Uh, the album is going to be uh, Dodie's new album, um, which is called Build a Problem. Dodie. Yeah, D-O-D-I-E. Not Dido. Yeah, that's where I was. <laughs> <laughs> that's her evil twin. And uh, cool. finally, your top five list. Uh, top five cover songs. Top five covers. Nice. That's going to be a nice oh, way to dig into it. Five now? No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not involved. Uh, sorry, I'm only a guest. Well, you can still listen along and send through your answers. Um, answers, yeah. answers on a postcard. No, they'll be wrong. You write well. it out, throw it in the sea. I'm sure we'll get it. <laughs> that actually is the only way to communicate with us. So if anyone does have any suggestions, write an email, print it off, throw it in the sea. What, 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 the is, our, uh, what is our email address? I don't think we've ever given this out. Screenandneedle.gmail.com. No, oh, no, I Oh man, you're Green and Nido at gmail.com. If anyone listens, please just write serious something. Yes, yeah, send us an of, email. None of us check it, so you may have already done so. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll check it. <laughs> You've not been reading my essays about your previous episodes. <laughs> oh, we got those, but we got them written in blood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, stapling them to your door, well. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's been very frustrating. With that said. That's all from us at Screen and Needle. I hope you'll join us next time. Bye-bye. Good night.